you find yourself in the trenches more often than you'd think with a small and growing company. And you definitely need to pop your head out from time to time and just realize that there's some comfort in knowing that you sort of control your own destiny. You're working for yourself. It's all by your own design. And so, yeah, I guess just stopping to the adventure and embrace the fact that it's not always going to be perfect is definitely a requisite for anyone that's planning to be a successful entrepreneur. This is the CMO and Joe podcast. We interview today's most inspiring chief marketing officers and savvy marketers of lucrative direct-to-consumer e-commerce companies, bringing you insightful stories and tips on marketing, sales, branding, and much more. We bring you the best lessons from the best. Let's get started with your host, Joe Momo. Welcome to the podcast, Wiley. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you on the podcast. Um, you're the founder and CEO of Rumple, or at Rumple, and uh, actually saw your Shark Tank episode a few few months ago, um, which is really <laughs> awesome. Uh, but before Great. I jump into all of that, how about give us a little backstory, kind of your total length uh, description of um, who you are and where you uh, what you're up to. Sure. Uh, my name is Wiley. I'm the founder and CEO of Rumple. At Rumple, we take the materials that you'd commonly find in outdoor gear and athletic apparel, and we apply those materials to everyday blankets. Um, the blankets are sort of used for indoor, outdoor, uh, largely camping, patio, sort of home adjacent, car adjacent use cases. Uh, and they work really well because of the performance materials. And then as far as who I am personally, um, I am a father of a 13-month-old. I live in Portland, Oregon. Um, in my fair, in my free time, I really like to, uh, ski and mountain bike and surf, um, whenever I can. No, that's awesome. Um, growing up, I saw, I saw on your LinkedIn profile, actually, that you're, you have a designer background. Um, maybe take us back. Uh, were you always kind of had that entrepreneurial spirit? Um, did you know you're going to be entrepreneur, a founder, uh, in the future or how did that kind of work out for you? You know, in hindsight, I, when I think back on just how I acted as a little kid, um, I did have an entrepreneurial spirit, but I honestly didn't really know what an entrepreneur was. I never like, you know, strive to be an entrepreneur, but I certainly, you know, had little hustles when I was a little kid. I mean, like lemonade stand level things where I would go out and try to sell something for, you know, maybe a couple of days at a time, but it wasn't like I ever built any, real businesses or plans or, or anything before Rumple. Um, and then, yeah, my, my background has always been in design and, and creative fields. Um, first kind of starting just with, with fine art. Um, I was, I was really into drawing and painting, um, kind of in middle and early high school, uh, towards the end of high school, I started becoming pretty interested in architecture and, um, had a little apprenticeship my senior year of high school with a local architect. And then in college, I studied um, environmental design and architecture at the University of Colorado. Um, and right out of school, got um, got a job with uh, a big architecture firm uh, called Gensler. It's one of the largest firms in the in the world, actually. Um, and that exposure uh, was really valuable for me in the sense that it, it you know, architecture at that level is very, very technical. Um, and I was always drawn to I guess the academic side of architecture, which is way more conceptual, 
and way more like art, frankly. Um, but when you kind of get into the big leagues, the, the rubber meets the road and you have to be, you know, really precise. There's a lot of engineering, a lot of math, and, um, it, it really becomes a very, very technical field. Um, and that wasn't as good of a fit for me. So I kind of took my, my creative and, and drawing and design skill set and gradually migrated into more of a graphic design and branding path. Um, and later found myself working at, uh, at a branding agency called Landor in San Francisco. And that was where I worked just before doing Rumpel. I've been at Rumpel ever since. Well, that's awesome. I think, yeah, really having that, even for myself as well, uh, having that creative background really helps uh, when, you, when you're looking to solve problems as an entrepreneur. Um, yeah, and I think another thing that's, that's um, not highlighted enough about a creative education background, specifically an architecture background, is the requisite that you present a creative idea to like a judging board. Um, you know, in, in architecture school, you present your projects. They would often, at least in my program, they would bring in local architects to critique the projects. And that's a skill that very, very few academic majors have, like actual presentation skills where you have to communicate a why behind an often conceptual idea. Um, I think that's a really important skill to develop as a young person. And I've definitely used that a lot in my professional life. Absolutely. And speaking of critique, I'm sure you got lots of, um, when presenting, you get lots of critique and you just have to adjust and pivot, um, which I also think helps in kind of that entrepreneurial journey as well. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's always feedback coming in from customers and from the market, uh, you know, your retail accounts, anyone that's, that's looking at your product and evaluating whether or not they want to participate, they might have comments and you need to be able to take them in stride and and brush off the ones that don't make sense for you to implement and take the ones seriously that do make sense. Right, right. And if you have to boil down maybe all those skills, your creativity skills, your ability to, your ability to adapt and pivot to new ideas and criticism, what would you say is kind of your most unique skill or maybe your superpower that's helped you become so successful in your, in your path? Um, so I, I've actually, I've actually kind of self-assessed myself about this exact question before we, whenever, just as a quick aside, whenever we hire someone at Rumble, we, um, try to build a list of the top core competencies we want that employee to have. And just, you know, as, as a personal exercise, I sort of did it for myself. And I think the top two skills that I have that I am able to bring to the table at Rumble and what's helped maybe, you know, relatively successful in my role is, um, the ability to build networks. Um, I've, I've, I've found that I'm good at connecting with people, staying in touch, building, you know, what seem to be meaningful relationships with people that have been advantageous as we've grown Rumpel. Um, whether it be, you know, people that contribute to the brand internally or investors or retail accounts or, you know, influencers, whomever, um, the, the ability to build those networks is, uh, something that I've found to be, um, a, a skill set of mine. And then additionally, I would say that, that, uh, persuasiveness is another one. And when I say persuasiveness, at least for Rumpel, what I mean is, is the ability to tell a story and convince an audience of that story. Um, you know, Rumpel is really a new category. Um, and there wasn't a whole lot out there like what we do before we launched. Um, and you know, the ability to convince people to come work for me or invest in me or whatever it is, 
um, has been really, really helpful. Um, so telling, you know, painting, painting a vision for what we're trying to do and animating that with storytelling and, you know, good visuals, good language, good presentation skills. I think that's, that's been really beneficial as well. It's funny that you mentioned building networks. That's actually a common topic that comes up on, on, on the podcast and also feedback from, from the audience. Um, how do you build that network? How do you persuade somebody, if you will, to have a coffee with you? Um, for you personally, Wiley, what's, what's maybe the best, maybe your top two um, tactics, if you will, to build that network and get people to um, take a coffee with you or even uh, listen to your idea? Well, I mean, I think the most important, and this is, this is a weird one to say because you can't, really, you can't really do this intentionally, but to just not try too hard. I mean, there's nothing worse than a hard sell. Um, and so to kind of soft sell someone like, hey, you know, I'd like to connect for XYZ reason, you know, basically put them in a no pressure situation. Um, you know, obviously if that, if that meeting and that relationship is extremely important, it's hard to not come off as, uh, you know, maybe a little too pushy, but that's really the number one. I mean, it's just like any sort of social interaction. You know, if you, if you seem like you're trying too hard, people aren't really going to want to hang out with you. <laughs> so that's the first one. I don't know if that's necessarily advice or that, or something that anyone could act on, but you know, just be, just be yourself in that, uh, you know, don't push too hard and, and be approachable. Um, that's, that's kind of the first one, um, easier said than done for sure. Especially if that's something that, that, uh, you might struggle with. Um, and then the second one is, you know, it always helps to put yourself in the other person's shoes. Um, if, uh, if I'm reaching out to somebody that is way further along in their career than I am and, you know, works at a much bigger company, really probably doesn't have the time to meet with someone like me, I might say something like, you know, I'd really love to learn from you. I think you'd be a great mentor, role model for me. Kind of like give them a little bit of a pat on the back. And that can be that can be something where if you're sitting in their shoes, that, you know, feels good to hear. And um, it might it might persuade someone to meet up with you purely out of charity. Um, and to, to, uh, give you any advice and help that they can, because maybe they think that it will, it's, it's them paying it forward for someone that may have helped them back in their earlier days. Absolutely. I think empathy goes a long way of just realizing that people are busy. Uh, you and I are busy. Other people are busy. Just, just mm -hmm. to keep that in mind uh, when reaching out as well. And also don't, I, I love the, don't, don't sell too hard. I think, yeah, just be yourself and, play it cool if you will <laughs> yeah there, you know there there are areas i mean if you're if you're talking about an actual sales situation there are instances where i've seen a hard sell actually work quite well but it's paired with um a why you know like here an example would be if we're talking to you know at rumple if we're talking to a retail account and we really think that they should bring in more product um rather than just pushing them to bring in more product if you pair that with look this is what we're doing in this other account that looks just like you, that sounds just like you, that, that has the same customer base as you. And here's what we're doing with you. And it's just less. You're leaving money on the table. That's where you can get kind of aggressive with your selling tactics. But because you've, you know, you've matched your selling tactic with a value add for that account. Um, and so that, that's an instance where it can be beneficial. But I mean, as far as building a real you know, relationship with a, with a person and, and keeping that intact over time, uh, I wouldn't suggest being a real pushy person. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. 
Uh, speaking of relationships, though, um, obviously I don't want to beat over the dead horse, whatever the expression is, but the pandemic over the last few months have kind of strained relationships. Uh, you're not able to um, meet face-to-face as often. Zoom fatigue, if you will, hearing that term tossed around. Um, for you personally, how has the last um, six, seven, nine months been been for you personally and also uh, for Rumpel? Uh, well, I'll start with, I'll start with personally. Um, I mentioned that I have a young son. Um, when the pandemic started, he was like five months old. Um, so from that side, it's really been awesome, honestly, because I get to spend a lot of time with him. Um, you know, he, he gets up about six, six thirty in the morning and goes to bed about seven. And I would miss a huge percentage of that day if I was going into the office every day. I might even, you know, I would probably often come back from the office after he had gone down. So from that perspective, it's been really good, kind of just hunkering down, me and my wife and my son in our house, and um, just getting to spend a lot of time with each other. Um, you know, there are definitely times when we want to be able to see our friends more and get out more and go to a restaurant and all, all sorts of things. Um, so that that is... A little bit of a fatigue, but generally speaking, it's been really nice to spend more family time during the pandemic. Um, on the on the Rumpel side, it's it's sort of mixed emotions on this that I have because, and we'll probably talk about this a little later. But the pandemic and just the current consumer environment and what people are reaching for really has actually helped Rumpel. Um, and I can I can elaborate more on that, but it's been generally very good for the business. Um, and so that's, that's been great. Uh, as far as keeping, you know, the morale high and relationships with people on the team, I just think that we've done a really good job with managing that. We, we have a bunch of things that we started right in March when we kind of locked down and started working from home that we've really done a great job continuing. Um, we do weekly happy hours with the team. They're totally optional, of course, but it's, you know, just 30 or 30 or 40 minutes where you grab a drink and hop on zoom and just catch up with your teammates. So that's been really fun. We do monthly uh, work from home care packages, which include just little things like a little house plant and a beer. Um, and you know, like a, the last one had a little watercolor kit and we did a little team watercolor session, um, for just, you know, 30 minutes, um, in the middle of the week and little stuff like that has been really good. Um, we've also found company is actually extremely effective when working remote. Um, and we've built a whole remote work policy that people can take advantage of if they want to. Uh, it's actually allowed a lot more flexibility for people to travel as long as they're logged in and working kind of during work hours. Um, and frankly, I don't think it's been that bad. Um, you know, that's, that's me talking. I don't know if everybody would feel that way, but generally speaking, the pandemic has not been a huge strain on the company or morale and certainly not on our efficacy as a team. Yeah, no, that's awesome to hear. I think, yeah, maybe let's jump into it. Just with the pandemic, obviously you're seeing a big shift in consumer behavior to more online spending and um, less retail for obvious reasons because of the lockdown. But um, mm-hmm. from your perspective, Wiley, are you seeing the same thing? What, what sorts of, um, trends are you seeing in, in that in that regard? Well, you touched on uh, point of purchase and we're, we're definitely seeing an increase in our direct consumer and e-commerce sales. Um, so that that is spot on. Rumpel is actually experiencing an increase in, in wholesale business as well. 
Um, and I think that what this speaks to is really more about what consumers are gravitating toward right now. And the kind of the three categories that are doing well um, through consumer reports and, and everything I'm seeing are obviously outdoor recreation. Um, everybody's recreating outside instead of going to hotels and things like that. So that's, that's an area where Rumple, that's our sweet spot. That's what we've been doing for years. Um, but then additionally, uh, we're seeing a lot of growth in, in comfort, just general comfort. So if you're in an apparel company that has a loungewear offering or kind of more casual clothes, people aren't really getting as dressed up anymore. So those categories seem to be doing really well. And then the third one is home improvement. People are now spending a lot more time at the home. They're, they're spending more money on their home, whether that's a remodel or some new accessories to kind of use throughout the house. And of course, that includes you know the patio and the garden. And so for those three sectors, outdoor recreation, home improvement, and comfort, Rumple sits like in the middle of that Venn diagram. So it's been really good for us uh, just in terms of where the consumer mindset is. Um, and we did some interesting things to actually take advantage of that. We, we had some hypotheses about what would happen at the start of the pandemic, and a lot of them came true. Um, one, one really important one was you know, around March, April, um, Rumpel has always been a, a, if we're talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, Rumpel has always been a brand that kind of sits at the top of the pyramid, you know, self-actualize, go climb the mountain, get out there, use these products to, to be all you can be, so to speak, and feel great about yourself. And during the, when the pandemic hit, we anticipated that people would be, would be changing their mindset a little bit to go a little lower on the pyramid in the sense that they would be focusing more on, relationships and love and belonging and security. And those are areas where with really minor tweaks to our brand positioning and messaging, um, we can, we can speak that language as well. We can talk about the gift of a, of a blanket and the comfort of a blanket and feeling cozy and safe and all those things. So really, really minor tweak, um, but really impactful when consumer mindset was shifting. Absolutely. Speaking about marketing and branding, uh, just as you've mentioned, um, what's maybe an exciting marketing trend uh, that you see currently? Well, uh, I, I guess there are trends right now, but I but I think by definition, a trend needs to come and go. So I'm I'm thinking and hoping that what I'm about to say will not come and go. The first is obviously the e-commerce acceleration that we're seeing. That's a really good thing for companies like us. Um, we love. We love making sales direct to our customer. We also like working with great retail accounts and partners. We really view those as partnerships. And still, we move way more units through wholesale than we do um, through our direct website. But anyway, you know, I like I like being able to have that direct contact with the customer, um, being able to communicate with them one to one. So that's certainly something that 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 um, I'm pretty excited about is just the shift more towards e-commerce. Um, and then additionally, you know, I think in the last it's not really a trend at all, but in the last three to five years, we've seen consumers really demanding um, more sustainability focus from the brands that they, at least in the outdoor space, which is where we we uh, focus our attention. Um, and Rumpel has made a lot of really great improvements to our product and our messaging around sustainability. Um, so that's super important. And then, um, and then additionally, uh, inclusion. You know, representation and inclusion, I think, is is something that we're starting to see a lot more of. That's exciting and needed, frankly, in certainly in the outdoor space. Um, and I think that that's something that's also been really exciting in the last, you know, 12, 18, 24 months. 
Absolutely. And big emphasis on the inclusion. I think that's really important um, to have. I mean, companies that do have the diversity and inclusion, it's funny, I had a, a previous podcast guest, um, Robin, she's big into the diversity and inclusion aspect of business. And yeah, just seeing the trends and hopefully, like you, like you were saying, um, it doesn't come and go, but it stays. Um, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's quite fascinating that you mentioned that as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, you know, it's, it's an issue that, um, I certainly didn't anticipate having to have a perspective on when starting the company, but I think that anyone in today's environment needs to really try at least to understand this to the best of their ability that sits in a leadership. It's just really important both to cons- consumers, but also to your team and to what your business stands for. So, um, there's, there's a lot of work that, that goes into that. And, uh, it's definitely, I think, really a critical piece of leadership development today. Absolutely. What's maybe one, maybe one of the biggest things Rumpel does that maybe consumers don't know about? Um, let's see. Well, one, one that's, that's that most people wouldn't know is we, we do almost everything internally. Um, people always ask, on the, on the creative and marketing side, sorry. Um, people always ask me, you know, what agency did this for you or who do you get, who did you guys work with on this? And nine times out of 10, we did it ourselves internally. Um, and there are a lot of things we don't do internally. We, we don't fulfill our product internally. We don't do our own sourcing, um, material sourcing. There, there's just a lot of things we don't do. But, um, on the creative side, we do most of it. Um, and if we don't do it, we source the art ourselves and have a very, very direct relationship with the artists that we work with. Um, and kind of, you know, guide the direction of the print that we might be putting on our products. So that's something that's definitely an internal core competency that we've been able to leverage. And one of the things that I think when we see competitors come into the mix, that's one of the things that really draws a moat around Rumpel is just our internal design and creative capacity. Wow, that's really that's really fascinating. Um, yeah, you always hear uh, various companies use agencies, but it's really cool that Rumpel uses or leverages internal capabilities. Um, on that mm-hmm. front, though, what's uh, maybe the most successful marketing campaign that um, Rumpel has done internally? So, generally speaking, we don't do a lot of campaigns, and and I mean, you know, just kind of like high level, top of funnel brand campaigns. Um, that would include all sorts of touch points, you know, out of home, social TV, all that stuff. Um, we don't do a lot of that. We just, we're not really big enough for it to be impactful. So, uh, the, the areas where we focus much, most of our attention, if, if we call them campaigns is really product marketing. So when we release a new product, those, those releases are, um, where we spend the most of our time. And I would say that the most successful one as of late is um, what we call our RAD program. It's the Rumpel Artist Division program. It's, um, you know, if you if you check out our products, you'll see that print and design is a big component to what we do. And with this RAD program, we've selected a number of artists each season. And we give them sort of an elevated designation. The product has its own story and landing page and all this special attention paid to it. Um, and we're starting to build up this really great pool of artists that have been participants in this program. And the program, I think, just gets stronger as we add more people to that roster. Absolutely. I think once you, once you get 
customers going. Um, I mean, we have a lot of entrepreneurs and uh, business owners listening uh, for for the audience. Um, how do you how do you create a great customer experience uh, after purchase? Sure. Uh, this sounds really obvious, but it's really just exceeding expectations and potentially creating some instances where you can really create some surprise. Um, let me think of a good, there's two examples I can think of actually. So in one example, we saw on one of our social media posts that someone said, you know, our products are anywhere from a hundred to $250, um, for our main core products. And someone wrote on a, on one of our posts, why wouldn't you just get a Kelty blanket for $39? Um, Kelty is a you know, much larger outdoor company. They make a product really similar to a Rumpel. And they have a product called the Bestie Blanket that's $39. Um, and our, our CX team wrote to this guy directly and said, Hey, we'll give you one of our products. You can try it next to the Kelty that you have. And if you think it's better, all we want is you to delete this comment. <laughs> and it's, you know, that's like, we're in a position where fortunately we, we can send this guy a product and, uh, you know, the, the cost of doing that and the experiment that that is, uh, is worth it to us. But that just totally blew this guy. I mean, it, it blew him away. And he, he even wrote, he was like, wow, I am really impressed by the confidence you guys have in your product. I'm really looking forward to this and I can't wait to test this out. So whether or not we actually get this guy to become a big fan of the brand, who knows? But that was just like a bold move that really surprised this guy, who was, you know, previously kind of kind of down on the brand and the product, not down on it, but just not really a believer. He was skeptical, and and our ability to stand up for our product quality and um, go to that length really impressed him. So that was one example. Another one that just happened recently that was hilarious is this guy wrote into our customer service team and. He said, Hey, uh, I accidentally drank too much last night and ordered a ruffle and I don't actually want this product. I need to return it. And we just said, you know what? We'll give you the, we'll give you the money back. It's already in route. We'll, we'll let you keep it. And then without telling him, we our our customer experience team put together a little hangover kit and sent it to his address, <laughs> which was like Advil and water and Gatorade and candy bars and stuff. And he got it and was just ecstatic. So those are examples of, I mean, it's really tough to give a, a broad range answer for this because the way that you really create a great experience is, is through unique and custom tailored instances and actions like that in both cases, right? Like these are one-off examples where, where they were really high touch. Um, you know, our, our CX team gets hundreds of customer service tickets a day and they can't do this for everyone, of course, but there are some instances where they get a creative idea, take, you know, 20, 30 minutes out of their day to put together a package or whatever it is. And that really creates fans. Um, and so that's, that's sort of a long-winded answer. But I think that the main point there is when you can get really custom-tailored and really individualized with your responses and your interaction with a customer, that creates a great experience. Absolutely. No, that's, it's all about turning customers into ambassadors, into true fans. And like you said, mm-hmm. going above, mm-hmm. and above and beyond really kind of sets that emotion. Um, I want to dissuade any of our listeners, though, if they want a free hangover kit, don't leave any <laughs> bad comments. It's not going to work. Yeah. <laughs> I can't promise it. I mean, it might, you know, if you, if you write, that was another thing too, is, is we could tell just from the way that both of these people wrote that they were kind of characters and they were going to get loud if, if they were really, um, if they were really impressed by our response. And it was like, 
it was just a fit. If you get somebody writing in and they're, they're kind of a jerk and they, you know, they just want some free stuff. We might not be so kind. <laughs> <laughs> no, fair enough. Um, I just want to quickly rewind. Uh, I'm, I'm really fascinated about kind of that jump from the architecture firm to starting Rumple. Um, what's maybe one of the biggest misconceptions about uh, starting a new brand or company? Um, one of the biggest misconceptions, um, I would just say that, uh, let me think what, what a good answer is for this one. Um, maybe that you're not going to be just grinding on it for years. I, and that's maybe like not a, a great answer, but I think that a lot of people have this, this misconception that when you get to a certain scale, your job somehow gets easier. Um, you know, your job changes, of course. I'm not, I'm not doing the customer service anymore. I was for a while in the beginning there, but I, I am still completely slammed. It feels like every day. And, um, I, I think that the notion of like the, the top of the totem pole, if you will, sitting in like this ivory tower not doing a lot of work is is a big misconception i'm sure that that's the case in some companies but certainly not the experience i've had i i feel i feel um more overwhelmed with more to now than i ever have really and again it's different stuff um but it's just as pressing and it, it's probably more pressing honestly um and and that is something that i've just come to accept as the job does not get easier <laughs> absolutely well, one, one topic that always comes up is just loving the process. Um, mm-hmm. a, a lot of successful entrepreneurs on the podcast have said that many times. Um, just loving the process and the trophies at the end, uh, they're nice, but the real, the real pleasure is uh, kind of the day-to-day um, building something meaningful and impactful. Um, mm-hmm. from, from your perspective, Wiley, how has that kind of manifested itself for you? Are you that type of person as well, or are you more... Um, uh, looking for, uh, what am I trying to say here? Are you trying to, uh, is the process as fun for you today as, as when you first started? Yeah, definitely. And we, so we have, we have a set of, of values at Rumple and our number one value is to embrace the adventure. And that is because a lot of times it's really hard and it sucks. Honestly, like there's, you know, right now we are slammed with orders in the middle of holiday there's crazy shipping delays. Uh, we're inventory constrained. Sometimes we oversell product accidentally on our website. And we have to write to customers and say, you know that order you just placed? We actually don't have that product anymore. So there's just like... It's just... You, you find yourself in the trenches more often than you'd think um, with, with a small and growing company. And um, you definitely need to pop your head out from time to time and just realize that... Uh, for one, this is, this is your choice, you know, like you, you started this company and, um, you, you need to accept the fact that it's going to be hard and it's going to take a lot of work. Um, but also just like, there's some comfort in knowing that you sort of control your own destiny. You're working for yourself. Um, it's all, it's all by your own design. And so, yeah, I guess just stopping to, to see adventure and embrace the fact that it's not always going to be perfect is definitely a requisite for anyone that's planning to be a successful entrepreneur. Absolutely. 
And you mentioned the holidays coming up. Uh, one question I always like to hypothetically, I always like to throw it, uh, th- throw guests is um, if I were to gift you, let's say 50% more budget, uh, what, so, what sort of things would you spend that on to get an ROA back on, uh, on, on the company? Well, if we're, if we're strictly talking about um, getting a return on the investment, it would be smart for me to spend it on more revenue driving actions, you know, like more digital spend where we've got a, a proven ROAS and we can, we can drive up that spend, hopefully without dipping below our, our ROAS threshold. Um, you know, potentially hiring more outbound salespeople that can go out and actually sell product. Those people um, generally, you know, turn a profit pretty quickly if you make an investment in them. Um, systems and processes that, that help work, you know, move faster and more streamlined, more efficient. Those are all things. I think, I think a more fun answer maybe um, would be I'd love to really take a legit big swing with like a big influencer endorsement, some sort of a big personality, like a Super Bowl commercial or something with somebody big. Um, that certainly would not be the most proven way to, to scale our revenue and scale our business. But I think that would be just a fun thing. And if I just magically had 50% more money, that might be a good way to use it. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Um, speaking of big TV spots, um, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about Shark Tank. Um, how was that experience like uh, for you? It was awesome. Um, I, I, I've been thinking about doing Shark Tank for years. Um, they, they have actually approached me several times over the, the last few years to be on the show. And I've always just been really reluctant, whether that's because of I'm just afraid of being on TV or, um, you know, I didn't think that, that it was something the sharks would be interested in or we didn't need the money or whatever. I've been really reluctant to do it. And finally this year it was like, you know, this is just a cool opportunity that I'm probably not going to get again in my life. And so I moved forward with applying and getting accepted and cast and all that stuff. And, uh, man, it was just such a cool, unique experience. It's so unlike anything I do day to day in my, in my normal day job as CEO of the company. Um, it was just a really great life experience to have. And, and also, you know, it, it has helped the business. Um, we are not taking a deal. It wasn't a deal that I thought was attractive, but it certainly got a lot of exposure for us. Um, and it was, it was good for me also to practice the pitch and have a really succinct, clear pitch and vision for the business. You know, I haven't done that in a while. Um, it's, it, you know, it's similar to when you go out and fundraise, um, but you've got, it's, it's way more high pressure. Of course, you've got TV cameras there and lights and kind of have to nail it. You can't fumble or stutter or anything. So it was just a really cool experience. I'm, I'm really glad I did it. No, absolutely. I think uh, a lot of our audience uh, would love to have that experience as well. But uh, from from your insights, uh, Wiley, what if if somebody wanted to raise maybe some equity capital for their business? What sort of maybe one or two uh, tangible things could they do to achieve that? Uh, well, I mean, it's it's really complicated to raise money. Um, it's certainly not. It's, it's not like the one or two things I'm going to mention will be like ace in the holes that will guarantee you raise money. I mean, the, the first one is kind of just going back to the very first question about the, the skill set that I think I bring to Rumble, and that is building networks. And very much your ability to raise capital, dep- capital depends on your ability to build networks. Um, even if you don't happen to know people that are accredited investors and, and able to give money in that sense, um, 
your ability to seek those people out and build relationships with them, get a connection through them, then through the next person, then through the next person. It's all just building relationships and, and getting yourself out there and making the investment community aware of the fact that you are looking for money. Um, that is a huge, just fundamental requisite for raising money. Um, because you make a lot of pitches and you don't always get an investment. Um, unless you happen to be just this, you know, explosive growth company that's got crazy numbers and everybody wants a piece, it, it, it's hard to raise money. I mean, you, it's, it's hard to sell somebody something. It's hard to sell them one of your products. It's a lot harder to sell them well, a position in your company for hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars. Um, so it's, it's a real salesman's job to go out and raise money. Um, and you got to hustle. You got to just hit the pavement and meet people and get out there and build those networks. So that's the first and foremost thing um, that's really important. And then the second thing I would say that's really critical is, and again, this goes back to what you talked about is, is just what, what uh, special, I don't remember what you said, but special power or something I, I bring to the company. I think that the second piece of that is being able to paint a vision for the person you're talking to about what it is they're investing in. and. Um, as I mentioned for Rumpel, our category is new. It's, it's, it's sort of unproven. It's hypothetical. Um, in a lot of senses, you know, we've, we've done seed rounds where we had very, you know, minimal sales. Um, we've, we've built a good business now with strong sales, but those early seed rounds that, that, uh, I helped raise were really on very little revenue and, um, the ability to paint the picture of this much broader, bigger business, that the investor is going to be able to get in on at an early stage is also a really important skill. So that's storytelling ability. Mm, I love that. That just painting that vision, like you said, um, really getting people to buy into what your what your mission and vision essentially is all about. I, I think that's mm-hmm. so true. Uh, speaking of which, what's what's maybe one question that you never get asked um, that you wish you would be asked? <laughs> Uh, let's see. I think that one, I wish I would get asked more internally from, from the team would just be very simply, how can I help offload that task from you? (laughs) Um, there's a lot that, and and this isn't just me, this is everybody in the company or a small company. There's a lot of stuff that you wake up and you start your day and you don't expect it to get thrown on your plate and it just gets thrown on your plate. Um, and, and it would be really nice if rather than, Hey, can you help with this? (laughs) If, if the ask was, how can I actually take some of the work off your plate? So that that would be a great thing. And I'm sure a lot of people at Rumble would share that same sentiment because everybody gets lobbed projects that they don't anticipate doing all the time. Um, and then the next would, I guess, be... Um, and I, I've started asking myself this a little bit, so I think it'd be interesting if somebody else asked me, but what are some of the skills that I've developed in my current role that I'm able to take back and use in my personal life? Um, and I think that that's something that I, I try to think about personally often, but, um, if somebody were to ask me those things, I could kind of socialize it with them and get their feedback. And that's just usually not a conversation I have. Mm, interesting. I mean, that's really fascinating. I think if you want to share, I, I'd be interested to know what's, what kind of skill have you learned in your current role that's been useful in uh, your personal life? Yeah. So, so I'm a big fan of um, really focusing efforts. Um, and you can, we, we use a strategic framework at Rumpel to, to, uh, 
expand our company called OGSM. And it's an acronym that stands for Objectives, Goals, Strategies, Measures. And it's a cascading strategy framework where you've got your objectives that are like your big sort of nebulous statements. Like one of ours, for instance, is be the category. Um, and there's a whole definition we have tied to that and everything. And then from there, you, you cascade that down into your goals. And the goals, of course, need to be smart goals that are measurable and timely and all those things. And uh, from there, you boil that down further into strategies. And then uh, from there, you, you break it down further into measures. And measures can literally be like daily tasks or weekly tasks that sort of ladder up to the things that sit above them in this pyramid. Um, and all this is to say that what I have realized is really effective for getting stuff done and staying focused is just setting clear targets um, and focusing in on the things that you really want to make sure happen. So I've often thought about this like in relation to what I want to do with my life if and when there's a life after Rumble for me. Um, and, and I've already decided those three things are I want to focus on health, personal health, travel, and relationships. And those are things that frankly have been really hard to manage on a personal level while also being the CEO of Rumble. And it's not that like I'm sitting here, you know, not leaving my house, not talking to any friends, getting fat and out of shape. Um, but it's certainly not, I'm not spending as much time on myself and my relationships and experiencing the world as I would like to, because I just am very grounded because of the role that I'm in. So those are, those are the three areas that I kind of have already defined as being where I want to focus my time after this. And I think my inclination to focus on fewer clearly defined things came from some of the skills that I learned as CEO of the company. Very cool. And uh, just real quick, what's just out of curiosity, how many employees does Rumble have? Rumble is only 15 employees. Oh, cool. So a small growing team. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. yep. uh, what's, what would you say is next for Rumble? Uh, well, so this year has been, I mean, as I mentioned, this year has been really, really good for us. Uh, we, we will grow probably between 65 and 70% this year. I think, um, we have a similar growth trajectory kind of outlook next year. Um, we're, we're seeing good indication that that is very feasible with how wholesale pre-bookings are looking and just general momentum on our website. So we're going to be adding a lot of people to the team next year, probably probably eight or nine people. Um, so almost doubling the size of the team. And I think that the, my goal next year is to make sure that that happens as seamlessly as possible. I'm sure there will be hiccups, but bringing in that many new faces um, to a team that's really pretty tight is going to be a big challenge. And, um, you know, to, to actually get to your question, the answer would be kind of more of the same and scaling our systems internally, scaling our our you know outbound process scaling our our uh, forward looking vision of the company um, to just to just service the demand that we're seeing, um, which sounds like not a lot, but that's going to be a big big challenge. Mm. I look forward to watching you guys grow and doing many many great impactful stuff in the future as well. So um, thank you. Yeah, I only have a couple more questions here for you, uh, Wiley. Sure. Um, what's maybe something that you're proud of that we haven't touched on in the interview today? Uh, uh, there's a couple of things. So, um, I think the biggest one for sure is we had a, we had a really challenging year in 19. Um, 
between 2014 when we started and 2018, we never grew less than 60% year over year. In fact, some years we grew over 100%. And then in 19, we went backwards. We, we contracted. Uh, it was our first time ever losing money. Rumpel has always been profitable. We lost a bunch of money in 19. Um, and team morale was low. Uh, it was just really challenging. And, and there's a bunch of reasons why that happened. But um, I found myself in January of 2020, just like, you know, scratching my head, how I'm going to, how I'm going to turn this thing around and how am I going to get everybody rallied behind the mission and get really good results out of everybody again. And I think the implementation of that OGSM strategy that, that I mentioned has been really helpful there. Um, also, you know, really making a goal to focus on employee happiness and employee engagement. That's something where my, as a, as a, a younger, less experienced CEO, I always assumed that, you know, good results, everybody will feel good. If we're getting good results, we'll feel good. So let's just work harder, get more results and everybody will feel good. And that's just not the case. That might be the case if you're the founder of the company because your company is doing well and that makes you feel good. But if you're somebody and this is your job, you know, you, you've got a life outside of your, outside of Rumple, then that might not necessarily be the thing that motivates you. So really asking and asking myself and being pushed in that direction from our leadership team and our board and all that, that was really helpful in, in changing my mindset about how to approach employee engagement, and employee happiness. Um, so just turning the company around in 2020 is something I'm super proud of that we really haven't talked about. Um, we'll, we'll have a big growth here this year. We've opened up a lot of new retail accounts, launched, launched a bunch of great new products, done some of our best, tightest, most succinct product launches ever. Um, and just the, the, the revenue results have been really strong as well. So um, that's been awesome. That's one thing that we haven't really touched on that I'm super proud of. And then uh, additionally, there are a couple of organizations that Rumpel's a part of that... Uh, that I, I think are something to be proud of. Um, the first is we're a climate neutral certified brand, which means that every year we offset 100% of our carbon footprint um, through carbon offset credits that we purchase. So we pretty much self-impose a tax on ourselves um, to buy carbon offsets for what we're putting into the air. Um, we are in the process right now of becoming B Corp certified. That's that's sort of a side project I'm leading and working on with a couple other folks on the team that I that should go through kind of early in 21 that I'm proud of. Um, we also signed this year uh, the Outdoor CEO Diversity Pledge, which pretty much commits us to putting diversity goals and targets um, into our strategy, and uh, that's something that we hadn't done before that uh, that that I'm really proud of. Um, and then the final thing I would say is this RAD program that I mentioned, the Rumpel Artist Division. Um, we, we really try to work with a diverse set of artists, but in particular, one of the collections we came out with this year was really focused on indigenous art um, and, and highlighting indigenous artists um, because especially in blankets, indigenous, indigenous art is often appropriated um, it's just kind of like, you know, that style that you see all over the place with, you know, on blankets and apparel and rugs and stuff. Um, and we are, we are certainly guilty of doing that in the past, but through a lot of, um, you know, urging from, from the team at Rumpel, I, I learned about this more myself 
and got on board with the fact that if we introduce products that bear this aesthetic, it needs to come from legit indigenous artists. And so that's a whole program we launched this year. And, um, and the results from it are really good. The art itself is better. The story that we're telling with the product launches is richer and more authentic. Um, and so that's something I'm really proud of as well as coming around on that. Wow. Yeah. I'm like, again, I think I'm super excited to see what the future holds for you and Rumpel. Um, it's been a pleasure speaking with you, Wiley. Where can their listeners connect with you online if they have more questions or uh, want to do that networking or pick your brain uh, type of thing? Sure. Uh, well, the, if they want to connect with Rumpel, um, which I can, I can be accessed through Rumpel, it would just be our website, which is rumpel.com. And then um, on both Facebook and Instagram, we're go Rumpel. Um, and it's R-U-M-P-L, no E at the end there. And then me personally, um, I, I use LinkedIn a lot. Um, I find LinkedIn to be a really great pr- platform for building networks. Um, obviously, that's what it's designed to do, I think. Um, but that's that's where I spend a lot of my time. That's where a lot of my outreach and, and network building originates before it gets to in-person. So LinkedIn is a good place as well. Awesome. And I'll uh, link put all the links in the description of the podcast so uh, the listeners could reach out. Um, I, I love to end the interview with uh, the guests saying a uh, word or a phrase to describe their brand as this is a marketing uh, podcast. But uh, my last question to you, Wiley, is uh, what's maybe one word or phrase that you would use to describe Wiley Robinson's brand? Uh, I feel like this question is like, I'm going to give an answer that's like those Instagram memes that's like Instagram real life. Where you know the Instagram picture is totally posed and perfect and fake, and in real life, there's like ten thousand tourists behind the photographer. Um, but I would say that what I hope customers think and what I think the outward, the outward facing perception of of Rumpel is would be fun. Um, you know, we don't take ourselves too seriously in our communication style. Our products are fun and whimsical. They're colorful. Um, so I'd say fun is, is the one word there, but I would say in reality, if you're asking me the, the definition would be obsessive. <laughs> I definitely like sweat a lot of the details and I still feel like I'm very, very involved in some minutia, um, in the company for better or for worse, you know, some of, some of those things I really got to take off my plate and just, just let go of. And then some of them, I think it's still helpful to me to have me involved. This episode of the CMO and Joe podcast has ended, but be sure to subscribe for more business strategies and tactics to help you create the profitable and successful business you've always dreamed of. And don't forget to rate and review so we can continue to bring you the best content. See you on the next episode.